Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I have Eric Larson on the phone with us this morning. Eric, good to talk to you, man. How you doing? Great. Good to be with you this morning. Eric's on. We're going to talk about wheat in a little while. Obviously, we'll be discussing... I would think cold temperatures and how that has impacted the wheat crop to this point. Yeah. So it's been cold. It's really cold last week. Today is what is today? January the 28th. That's right. And we usually don't spout out dates and stuff, but today is the 28th and anchoring that around the weather. It, it was really cold last week. I guess it was really cold first part of this week or, or not quite as cold as last week. Supposed to rain next week and then be cold again. That factors into a lot of the decisions that we make on wheat. And so that's why we invited Eric on this morning. We're doing this with the intention of releasing the episode about the time of traditional wheat fertilizing. And so the things we talk about this morning, the weather may change over the next couple of weeks between the time we have this conversation and we actually release the episode. So if that's the case, then just bear with us there. Eric, I was thinking about what I wanted to ask you, and I think I came up with something interesting. You're the corn specialist, but you're also the wheat specialist, right? That's correct. So when you go to the store to buy cereal and you're going to buy checks, do you buy corn checks or do you buy wheat checks? Oh, gosh. I don't buy either one, I guess. If you had to choose, <laughs> which would you choose? I guess I'd buy corn checks. I think I would, too. All right, now, let, let me get a, a little bit deeper. But I like Wheaties very well as well. <laughs> what if you're using the checks to make checks mix? Does that change your decision? Uh, Yeah got to be a mix i guess if you're gonna if you're gonna make one of those fancy mixtures anyway like my like my mother does i guess I, yeah i think the wheat checks are better in checks mix the party mix or whatever different things people call it but if i'm gonna eat it in a bowl with some milk i think i prefer the corn or you can get crazy and do the crispix which is a combination of the two see i thought he would defer to the fact that if he was confused about which one he would have to buy he'd just buy the rice checks instead because you can always opt out with that option yeah but that's <laughs> taking the easy way out man you gotta <laughs> pick one to commit man well they're all three good they are at some points in time I like the variety. Of course, we won't get into what kind of milk I end up ultimately having to put on that anymore. Uh, somebody's sour expression on their face when they look in the bed of my pickup and notice that, oh, you have an empty jug of coconut milk. That's not great. You would be surprised how often the subject of cereal comes up in the course of casual conversation amongst this group of people. We don't eat it in our house anymore. When Bobby... And Tom Eubank and I used to ride in the truck coming back from county meetings or something. More than a few times, we got off onto the finer points of kids' cereal. Not a lot of deep thought. That marks like two years in a row now we've covered breakfast cereals. That's what I'm telling you. It's a yeah, it's a topic it of interest. seems to be a hot topic. It's a topic of interest. And, and we've almost covered the more healthy options this morning because we haven't even interjected any of the things with a tremendous amount of sugar. Or yeah, some but, form uh, of marshmallow. Uh, uh, peanut peanut butter, Captain Crunch, still rules the roost. I said that last year. I haven't changed my tune on that. Not a big fan. It's the best. Oh, not a big fan. 
Eric, we'll be serious now. I apologize for the shenanigans. What do we need to think about this time of year? And just consider the weather that we have right now. But what do we need to think about when we start to think about fertilizing wheat in light of the warm weather we had at the end of December and then the cold weather we've had? You know, just what are we thinking about as we move toward fertilizing wheat? The first thing that I would mention is that we spend a lot of time and, and obviously with wheat prices being much more much higher than normal, nitrogen is, is always a big player in terms of the budget for, for growing crops, particularly the crops that, that I've worked with, corn and, and also for wheat. But the the climate and and the climate that we have during the, the wheat growing season is even more stressful from a nitrogen management standpoint than it is even on corn. So even though wheat requires a little bit less nitrogen, we're growing the crop during the, the wettest time period of the year, which means that the losses that we might have from nitrogen during this time period of the year and the availability to the crop is going to depend greatly upon the timing or proper timing of nitrogen application and, and amounts that we apply over the course of the season. So bottom line is the management is extremely important to the availability of this important nutrient that's going to play a large role in dictating what type of, of wheat yield that we produce. What kind of questions are you getting right now, Eric, about all this Primarily about the first application timing. And the first application timing on wheat is always important because um, we plant wheat in the fall. We may or may not need to put out a little bit of fertilizer in the, in the fall. But by the springtime, anything that we applied to the fall and any nitrogen that may have been present in the soil from a previous crop such as soybeans is going to be gone. So... The timing for this first nitrogen application during the spring is very important because we want to satisfy the crop demand so that we produce as many tillers as possible, which which develops into how many potential heads that that crop produces. And once the once the wheat begins stem elongation, which should occur, you know, sometime around the first of March, the tiller number is determined, and you can't affect that with fertility after that point. So what we do sometime this month plays a large role in our wheat yields, even though the wheat needs that during February are not nearly as high as what they will be later in the season. And what about all the questions that I'm sure you're fielding about yellow wheat? I know a few weeks ago, I'd probably talked to a couple of folks and they'll get concerned about either A, early barley yellow dwarf, which I typically rule out, B, it's been it's been wet, but this year in particular, I don't think it's been nearly as wet a winter. What are your thoughts on any of this yellow wheat to this stage? I will say, I guess, that I've gotten a lot more questions about this first application timing of nitrogen more so this year because of some of the abnormal development and seasonal conditions that we've experienced during the 2021-2022 the growing season. And if we look a little closer at that, we were able to plant wheat during a relatively wide window in the fall. It was relatively warm that time of year. It stayed warm through the month of December for the most part, and, and particularly had a, a very warm spell right there after Christmas time. But all this goes to say, I guess, that most of the wheat that was planted in Mississippi 
had very good, plentiful growth on in the fall. So we had more growth than normal. Then when it finally got cold during January, um, the frost and the cold temperatures certainly are going to bite that wheat back. Um, the combination of, of the frost and less nitrogen availability due to the extended soil saturation that we get over the course of the winter has most of the wheat or it has had most of the wheat, you know, since mid-January looking relatively putrid and not, not particularly sporty, you might say, not a dark green like it was earlier earlier in, you know, what we would normally call winter, you know, in late December. But the thing that I that I told folks or have been recommending is that the first night there's no need to put out the first nitrogen application until we start getting warm enough conditions to stimulate growth during the you know late winter early spring, which is typically going to occur sometime in I hate to say a date because it can change so much from year to year, but sometime in February certainly that that first application needs to occur, but it's going to be highly dictated by temperature. And, uh, you know, the geography of where you're at in the state is going to play a large role in wheat, when that wheat finally breaks dormancy out of the cold temperatures of winter and start growing, too. So uh, the first application timing for Natchez, Mississippi, is certainly going to be a lot earlier than what it would be even for, you know, the South Delta region and certainly going to be quite a bit different than what it would be up in the North Delta, like up at Tunica. Two questions related to that. You mentioned the the warm weather we had through the fall and then particularly in December. But then we've had a couple of cold spells since then, and like I mentioned earlier, another one in the forecast. So have we had enough winter for the wheat to vernalize and just pick a you know moderate latitude, say the Highway 82 latitude just kind of splits the state? Yeah, I think so, and, and it's, you know, I hadn't really thought about it in, in great te- detail or looked at historic temperatures compared to other years, but I, I, you know, I can remember, I've been around for a good while, I guess, but, uh, you know, I can remember some years where it's not very common to get very many days of, of below freezing temperatures, and, and certainly the weather that we've had in January, we've had since I've been getting these questions since mid-January, I've been looking a lot closer at the at the long-term forecast. And there's been we've had a lot of predominant weather conditions where we've had nighttime temperatures is the primary thing I look at and look at those nighttime or low temperatures over the course of a 10-day forecast. And you know, if temperatures are in the in the mid 20s, we're not going to have warm enough temperatures to simulate growth until those nighttime temperatures pull up a lot closer to 40 degrees. And 40 degrees is probably the imperative temperature to kind of look at. And I like to look at those nighttime temperatures, obviously, if it gets down to in the the 20s on consecutive days or several days, even though it may get up to 50 or 60 degrees during the course of the day, the average daily temperature is probably going to be well less than 40 degrees. So we're not going to get much significant growth on our weed and break out of that winter dormancy until those nighttime temperatures pull up to closer to 40 degrees and and that pulls the average, you know, up above 40 degrees. Okay. My second question related to that, again, in light of the warm fall and particularly December, I know I was down to the point of considering mowing the yard 
between Christmas and New Year's because everything was really greening up. So following that, when we had that really warm period, but then it turned really, really cold a couple times in January, is wheat more susceptible to damage from those really cold temperatures following a period of really warm weather or doesn't matter. It just, the frost bites it off and it's going to, once the temperatures moderate and it starts growing, it's going to grow anyway. That's a great question. The amount of injury caused by freezing temperatures is, is highly dependent upon wheat growth stage. But normally wheat that has not started stem elongation, it's in the tillering stages or relatively prostrate or doesn't have a stem formed yet or any joint certainly on the stem can tolerate temperatures well into the into the low 20s or even the teens and, and have very little damage associated with that. Or if it does have damage, it's going to be very minor damage. It's not going to damage the heads or anything that's going to cause catastrophic damage like we would expect from a, from a late March or an early April freeze event like we have experienced. Um, I know that we had issues with that in, I believe, 2007 as well as the next year after that, 2008. But um, most of the damage that we historically have with wheat associated with with freeze events um, is going to occur well into the you know late March, early April time frame, well after stem elongation has started, and in those those heads start to come into play as far as their development and sensitivity to extreme freezing temperatures. Fast forward to February 10th, 12th, and conditions are good. Our wheat is either coming out of dormancy or already begun to grow. So let's talk about products and rates, things like that for nitrogen fertilizer. I'll start off by saying that wheat needs during the month of February are not great. And just visualize, you know, how much and how much wheat growth you typically have during the month of February. There's going to be a little bit of growth. It's going to green up, but it's not like it's going to grow knee high or get 18 inches tall during the month of of February. That's not going to occur until well into March after stem elongation occurs. So the needs are not very great. Probably 10 to 20 pounds of nitrogen, certainly 30 pounds of nitrogen is going to be far more than sufficient to carry the wheat well into March when you can start your your secondary and primary nitrogen applications. But it's not real practical, obviously, um, for aerial applicators to apply less than 100 pounds of fertilizer material in any one application. So, you know, there's not a whole lot of options that we have to put out, you know, to lessen the amount of nitrogen that we put out in in. February. A couple of options that come to mind, I guess, are ammonium sulfate, which is going to be 21% nitrogen or, or potentially something like um, 1846-0 as well. So, you know, if, if you need sulfur, you need to put out phosphorus on your field, on your wheat field, then, then those could come into play. But um, a lot of times folks will use some 41004 um, and just go ahead and put out 100 pounds for the first application of that or potentially mix it with something like ammonium sulfate. Since you mentioned it, Eric, how many applications do you typically suggest for fertilizer applications between February and, and when you said basically into March? You want one in February to satisfy those early demands, which are not very great. 
Um, you want to try to minimize that, that amount and then come back with primary applications in March. Um, you could get by with just two. It'd probably be more efficient if you actually use three applications over the course of the growing season total. But just one during the month of February to supply those initial demands, make sure that the wheat has plentiful nitrogen and has it early enough so that it sustains all the tillers that it's already produced to this point. But going back to the growing conditions that we've had this year, more than likely we've had adequate and plentiful tiller development during the fall of 2021 to this point. So growth to this point is not much of a problem. We should have plenty of development going on. And and as long as the plants have adequate nutrition, and that goes well beyond just nitrogen fertility, um, most of the wheat should be in pretty good shape um, going into, um, you know, the first nitrogen application time into 2022. Since you talked about multiple fertilizer applications, what's the total application rate then in a single season or your expectations for a good, sustainable wheat yield? The nitrogen rates for wheat are going to vary more than anything else depending upon soil texture. On lighter textured sandy soils, which are going to drain well and not stay wet as nearly as long as a heavier clay soil, you can produce top wheat yields, and I'm talking about wheat yields in excess of, you know, 70 or 80 bushels an acre, even up to 100 bushels an acre, with as little as 100 pounds of nitrogen or slightly more than that, depending upon the growing season and how much rainfall you have, and really when that first application goes out. Obviously, if it goes out earlier, that exposes that nitrogen to higher losses before you get to the time period during particularly late mid and late March and early April when most of your nitrogen needs to be available to the crop. On the high side, probably 150 to 160 pounds, again, on on clay soils um, may be necessary to, um, you know, produce the type of wheat yields that we'd like to produce, which is normally in excess of 70 bushels an acre if if weather conditions, particularly during um, April and, and May are conducive to realizing that type of yield potential. If that larger application goes out as urea, Eric, given the time of the year it is, is that going to be treated with agritane or a similar product, or is it early enough to not worry about that? That's a question that comes into play a lot more for wheat, or there, there's a lot less risk associated with that decision because our temperatures are usually less and the likelihood for rainfall is typically more. So that's a that's a decision that, that you know, many producers may choose either side from a risk management standpoint, um, but certainly there's a little bit less risk associated with that compared to what you would expect during the, the corn fertilization season or the rice fertilization season where that's a much more standard uh, management decision where, you know, that's it, it's going to be a lot stronger um, need for, for using those products that, that minimize the volatility potential of, of urea sources. Driving up and down the Highway 61 corridor this time of the year, I, I feel pretty certain you probably get some telephone calls about any of this large number of geese that end up landing on a field. Is there any damage expectation from that for the wheat crop that's out there? If the geese are literally removing the entire plant, pulling the crown, and the roots out of the soil, obviously they can remove 
plants and and affect yield potential. Most of the time, they are removing just vegetation above the soil surface. And if they don't pull the crown out of the ground and are not extracting tillers and the plants are well anchored down in the soil, then the foliage damage is not consequential. In other words, the, the vegetation removal, particularly during winter dormancy, is not going to reduce the wheat yield potential, uh, and it will recover from that quite well as soon as temperatures stimulate growth. Um, that becomes a little bit more of a factor from a vegetation removal standpoint after that wheat breaks dormancy in late February. But normally, the geese will migrate on back north as soon as we start getting some temperatures sustained high enough, you know, into the 70s during the day and so forth when when the wheat growth starts hitting its stride and starts getting closer to stem elongation. Normally, by that time of the year, the geese may hopefully go ahead and migrate back north. But um, the key thing we got to keep in mind is that there's not a lot of wheat fields out there um, so that the geese are certainly going to be compressed on localized fields and probably the fact that you know, we've got a lot of bare fields out in the Delta where folks have put out fall residual herbicides. There's not a lot of of uh, food out there for the geese to feed on. So this is a very convenient source for them to potentially cause some damage, you know, in the rare instances that either they stay around a lot longer in the springtime or, um, you know, you've got some late wheat that wasn't planted until sometime in December that may be on the thin side or may not be anchored in the soil as well as some wheat that was planted in October or sometime in November. So uh, there are some rare instances where that may cause some issues. Basically, then, your suggestion is don't panic. Get out there, scout, look and see what they've maybe done to the overall crop that they could have been on, depending upon how long they were on, and and move forward from there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, look at the field after they hopefully moved on. Um, Of course, a lot of growers will try to keep the wheat or keep the geese out of the fields um, by moving them out of the fields, scaring them out of the fields and so forth. But um, that's a takes a, a tremendous amount of labor and effort to do that. But um, in terms of assessing the field, put your feet in the field, look and see how many live plants remain in the field. And if you've got, you know, certainly over 15 plants per square foot, and even as low as 10 plants per square foot, as long as those ge- geese get out of the field by sometime in, in mid to late February, and that wheat has opportunity to, um, to regrow without continued feeding, um, it can recover quite well and, and do well, even if, if, even if a few plants are removed. We appreciate the time this morning, Eric. I think that's a, that's a pretty timely topic right now. And I know we, we all probably address some questions when it comes to the wheat crop. And, I, and it looks like just driving around this year, we probably have more acres than what we have the last few years. Uh, so we appreciate the time and effort. As always, we're really thankful for the comments and thankful that we're able to continue to do this. I think 2022 will be a good year. We're certainly, Jason and I are putting together a list right now, of some topics to move through for the first few months. And of course, we have no idea what will develop 
for the remainder of the row crop season. So as always, thank you very much. Thanks, Eric. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.